Hey folks, welcome back to the podcast. I am James Finch and this is The Finch Show. My guest on the podcast today is Juliet Magro, who is an ornithologist, um, which is a subject I find absolutely fascinating. You'd think with the last name like Finch, that this is something I would know more about. I really don't. So I had her come on. Um, as it turns out, she's a good friend of uh, Julie hartman like who you've heard on the podcast several times. And uh, they work together at Highland Community College. So we got to talking through Facebook, agreed to come on. We just recorded the podcast, had a lot of fun, a lot of interesting things in there, things I definitely did not know, which isn't surprising to anybody who knows me. But anyway, without further ado, here is Juliet. I got to say, I find it partially hysterical that um, the whole way that you and I got connected was our mutual friend, Julie, was on the podcast not that long ago. And when she had posted on her Facebook that she had been on a podcast called The Finch Show, somebody commented and said, did you talk about finches? Exactly. <laughs> I saw the name and I said, OK, it better be about finches. <laughs> and it occurred to me in the, the two years now that I've been doing a podcast called The Finch Show, I don't think the subject of finches has ever once come up. So that might be false advertising. I don't know. I wonder how many people stumbled across my podcast thinking that it is bird related. And so far, it hasn't been until now. So so um, I'm sure during some podcast search for bird people, they probably do type in bird podcast and it's possible your name does pop yeah, up there. Yeah, because the funny thing is, if you go to certain places, uh, I think like iTunes is that way and you just type in search the Finch show, my podcast comes up as well as a bunch of podcasts about birds. And okay. I always found that slightly funny. I'm like, well, yeah, with a name like that, you know, you don't really think about the Oh, gosh, I guess the origin of your last name until it becomes a Google search thing. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Do you know how powerful finches are, though, in the biology ornithology world? I do Finch not. is a pretty big bird. You should know. Yeah, well, tell, me all, tell me all about <laughs> well, it. I'm interested. Charles Darwin, that was what he studied, for, uh, 14 finch species at the Galapagos. And that's our theory of natural selection. So finches are pretty powerful in the biology realm. Wow. And in our area, commonly they're, you know, they're kind of the common bird. So I'm sure you've seen them. Um, if I don't know if you have a bird feeder or not, but they're, there's goldfinch. So you might've noticed goldfinches are smaller and then other finches. Um, a lot of people call finches and sparrows the same thing. Oh, those are just the, the sparrows. Um, but finches have a conical beak to eat seeds. Mm -hmm. So if you're if you like seeds, then there's your finch background, <laughs> sunflower seeds. <laughs> I do have, um, I have a bird feeder out. Uh, you typically put thistle feed, you know, thistle seed in it. Okay. Uh, and goldfinch love that. Oh, they love it. Um, we've also, the nice thing is we have a, um, a, a koi pond in our backyard, which is a great source of enjoyment for the finches. I kind of love it when I get up every morning, get my coffee and look out the window and they're bathing themselves in the waterfall huh. and taking drinks from the pond and... It's just kind of this whole little like uh, finch and fish sort of biosphere going on in our backyard. It's pretty nice. Cool. So they're the koi are probably too big. They don't the birds don't try to eat them or anything. No, no. Or one vice of the, versa. Yeah, some of our biggest koi are about four times the size of one of the one of the finches. So there's not a lot of. <laughs> I'd be more worried about one of the the fishes attempting to steal one of the birds because they think it's food. Sure. <laughs> well do you get raccoons then or other animals you know we've been lucky we don't get raccoons um and the worst thing that uh, koi pond owners run into are blue heron okay. um, who love to come in and we've been really really lucky and as you know from living in this freeport area we have several wetlands around here mm -hmm. where they are frequently i see them driving by or hiking or something like that we've been really fortunate in seven years that not a single one has flown overhead and gone oh that looks good because a lot so you say that it's, you're lucky and I would be lucky if a great blue herring landed in my backyard. I would love that. I would put koi fish just to attract the great blue herring. Well, it's always a matter of perspective, right? Like, sure. you know, we've got some fish back there that we've had for six, seven, eight years. We've got name for them. And to wake up one morning and look outside and see a blue herring standing there with one of them in their mouth, you would, I'd just run out there with a baseball bat and be like, get out of here. Oh, <laughs> no, I would get my camera. <laughs> so, um, 
as sort of a background, how did um, how did this originally become a thing for you? Well, um, in college, I went to Northern Illinois University, and I took a well. Even back, my first day, I was a computer science major. And I knew I've always loved biology and I changed my major after one day that my first day of college and I said I'm going to go into biology. And so I took some random biology courses and one of them it, during my third year my last year um, was birds and mammals and I took it for the mammals I had zero interest in birds. I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian I, I wanted to study mammals. And when I took the course, I just fell in love with birds. I, my hearing changed. I was able to identify all these sounds that I never knew existed when I wandered around campus. And the, the diversity of birds, now I think mammals are just boring. Um, they're, <laughs> that's part of the mammal aspect. They're camouflaged um, shades of different shades of brown and tan, which is fine. But when I saw the, the tremendous diversity of birds, I, I just fell in love. And then there's a thing we call the spark bird. And spark bird is the bird that got you into birding. And for me, it was one of our first field trips and there was an osprey. So I don't know if you know what those look like, Oh yeah. but they're a bird of prey. And it was, we we're in our hike with our classmates and our teacher and we looked up and he, he just said, he told us to be quiet and looked up and there was an osprey with a fish in its talons eating right above us. Oh wow! And I said, there's that giant bird right above us. <laughs> and I, ever since then, it just kind of became a game because you just, you want to see what else is out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ospreys are amazing. I, I think it was about like five or six years ago. I went down the rabbit hole on those um, only because um, the military had unveiled a new um, troop carrier flyable troop carrier that could, uh, you know, it had props, but those could, the wings would turn and it would turn into a helicopter and land. And it was, okay. called, the, it was called the V-22 Osprey. I thought, I have never, what is an Osprey? Now, normally a lot of these planes, they name after birds, you know, right. the Eagle and that kind of stuff. So I Google Osprey and ended up like, all of a sudden it's like 2 a.m., you know, and I'm just reading about Ospreys and they, they're, they're a beautiful bird. They're absolutely gorgeous. They are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they're one of the, or the only fish, they're, they're in their own family, the only species that fall into this fish eating bird category. Um, they, they resemble eagles, they resemble other birds, but they're in their own um, taxonomy for mm -hmm. ospreys. So they're very unique and they have two talons forward, two talons back, and they, they're only ones that dive fully into the water to get the fish. Whoa. And then they turn it around to make sure the fish is aerodynamic when they fly away. Oh, so wow. If you want to Google pictures and videos, look up videos of osprey hunting. Wow. How, are, yes. how do they compare size wise to like a bald eagle? Bald eagle, smaller. Um, bald eagle would be, oh, well, the, I know that bald eagle weighs about eight pounds. Osprey would probably be half that, maybe slightly more. Um, I don't know my measurements. <laughs> bald eagle. Um, no one can see that or if you're watching, but um, bald eagle would be foot and a half, uh, maybe an osprey foot tall and just very streamlined. They have uh, this kink in their wing that allows them to fly really aerodynamic and kind of um, streamlined when they dive in. And that's that's one of the things to look for when you when you see in the air and you're trying to figure out what it is they have this little bend in their wing mm -hmm. so it's a it's a good observation are there a lot of those in this area or are they primarily like a uh well like a northwest type bird they're they're i haven't seen them in freeport myself um I, i'm sure they are around but most of the ones i've seen are along the mississippi river oh really so, yeah you'll want to you want to go to a water source to find these water birds Mm -hmm. um, but I'm sure here and there, they probably fly through, especially with our rivers nearby. Um, but you're not going to find them near uh, hovering around a, a backyard. You'll, <laughs> you'll see them near water sources. Okay. The, um, gosh, the, the bald eagle, um, as I mentioned that, um, really amazes me. I remember, are you originally from Freeport? I'm from Ottawa. Ottawa. Okay. So near Star Rock. So at least the area. Yeah. I was yes. actually just there not that long ago camping. Um, the bald eagle is amazing because I, as a child, it was sort of, you didn't really see bald eagles. You would hear about them. Right. You know, and obviously you'd seen videos and pictures of them, but more and more as the years have gone by, they've got to be relatively plentiful, at least relatively speaking. Yes. Um, so the, that, was, that was actually my first bird that I wanted to go into as well. So when I finished Northern, 
I went to Western to work with a man who studied bald eagles. I, I specifically, when I was, my, my parents, when we bought our, bought, when they bought their house when I was younger, they had this whole cabinet full of old National Geographics from 1960. For the previous owner just left them there. And occasionally just my biology nerd, even when the, I didn't know I was going to, into biology in the future, I would just randomly look at the title and I saw all these really interesting ones. So I pulled out the one that said bald eagle topic and I was flipping through closer to the time I was deciding what I wanted to do for grad school. And it was probably a 1965 article, um, but this showed, it kept saying Western Illinois University professor, Tom Dunstan, who studies bald eagles. And so when I decided where to go, I said, I'm going to Western to work with this person. Mm -hmm. And I went down there and sadly though, I, I met him and he said, oh, there's so many bald eagle studies. I want to work with you, but let's do something else, not bald eagles. So I was like, I came specifically to work with bald eagles. Um, I ended up working with pelicans, and I, I hate to say with, um, I studied them. So I, most of my research was driving to the Mississippi River and counting the number of pelicans and ospreys. And he did say also count bald eagles, but it wasn't focused on bald eagles. Mm -hmm. So at that time, um, it, the numbers were growing. Um, Mississippi River is the place to go to see the huge numbers. But the longer I've lived in Freeport, I see bald eagles around here. I mean, they're in Crate Park. They're at the Wetlands Preserve on 20, um, 26. They are either they're currently being evaluated to be removed from the Endangered Species Act or actually removed. I haven't actually I, um, made concrete uh, evidence of that, but they're, they're close to being removed because the numbers are back up. Mm -hmm. That is great. So, yeah. And, but a lot of people don't like them. Um, what? Well, personality wise, I hate to give personalities to birds that, that way we don't want to really um, personify them. Uh, but they, they do steal from other birds. Like if an osprey just hunted a fish, the bald eagle will take it. So I think a lot of people think they're bullies. Um, mm -hmm. There are individuals who are afraid of birds of prey in general, especially if they have pets. So they think, oh, this bald eagle is going to take my pet, my cat. Um, they're opportunistic. So a lot of people think, no, I don't like them. They, they don't necessarily put them at the high majestic pedestal. And um, you probably heard the, the story that Ben Franklin never wanted the bald eagle. And that, that's actually a myth. Um, he never quite said bald eagle should not be the national bird. Um, it was kind of reworded. He just said, I don't like them. Kind of what I just, the story. Mm. But he said, you know, the turkey, the wild turkey has a little more personality <laughs> that, that's better. So he didn't quite say bald eagle shouldn't be turkey should, but they kind of said um, that kind of story behind it. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Well, turkeys are the best. That just like, that just like <laughs> perfectly, fun. that perfectly seamless thing, because turkeys are by far my favorite bird, even though my last okay. name is Finch. I love turkeys. They're, they're absolutely amazing. I'm a, I'm a member of the National Wild Turkey Foundation have been for a number of years. Um, and, you know, I, I wish I could speak on <clears throat> turkeys from a, a scientific standpoint. I really don't think I can. Um, I, I mainly know them from hunting them. That's how I got into them initially. Sure. And the uh, kind of like the bald eagle, the, the success story of conservation with those has been incredible. I remember being about seven or eight years old. I don't remember. My dad came and woke me up at like five in the morning. He was so excited. This was here in Freeport, Illinois, because there was a turkey in our backyard, nice. which was akin to seeing a dinosaur. Oh, like all birds are dinosaurs. Yeah, well, <laughs> right. <laughs> but I mean, in terms of being able to see one in real life, right. like, you knew what turkeys look like. You ate one every year for Thanksgiving, but there was an actual turkey in our backyard and now they're everywhere. They're everywhere in this area. It, it's so fantastic to see. Yes. Yeah. A lot of times they, they, they're just crossing the road and you know, if you hit that, that would damage your car. Yeah. But I, I do watch a lot of people stop their car, of course, to not hit them, but just to be in awe. Mm -hmm. They just see how big and bulky their bodies are and um, the little babies often trailing behind them. Right. They're beautiful. But imagine birds, seeing too. them at your feeder. I've um, a few friends of mine have sent me pictures of turkeys on their bird feeder. Mm -hmm. That is cool. That, yeah, <laughs> I wish I could do that. The um, it, it always amazes me. And this is the way just sort of the outdoor life goes with these sort of things where people will send pictures of like in town over in Kiwanis Drive, like a whole flock yes. of them just crossing the street, you know, and then there will come a nice, good Saturday morning and you're out in the blind at like eight in the morning. And for six hours, nothing. 
<laughs> you know, when you're actually looking for them, you can't find them. When you're driving down the road in your car, you slow down because they're crossing the street, you know. Right. <clears throat> they do. Um, they're such a fascinating bird. Um, and there's there's nothing cooler, I think, than, you know, situations where I've been in the blind and you've done a turkey call and way off in the distance, you hear a gobbler answer. Yes. I mean, it, it just, it, it makes your hair stand up. It is just one of the cool, whether or not you ever actually end up seeing them or have a successful pursuit or hunt on one is completely to the side. Just that pure sound of, you know, cause they make such a distinct sound. Right. Bird world. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. That, that gobble is pretty unique. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing with the, the ring neck pheasant. That's a pretty strong bark sound that you would hear. Um, often I think, is that a frog? Um, so that's a nice thing for some birds. You can hear their, their call or song and know exactly what it is, where then there's the majority where they all sound so similar. And I think that's why I, I love that part of the, the chase, the game. Um, and you kind of have that same thing as, as a hunter. Um, but your, your description is actually showing that you you might want to learn more about birds. You, oh, okay. you have this little excitement behind you. So <laughs> I often say birding is the gateway drug <laughs> to, to other things because the more I got into birding, I got into plants because you start to learn about the habitat that the birds mm-hmm. want. So for, for me, I like to share that. I don't quite use that phrase for if I'm talking to kids, but I say birds open the door to nature activities because it's, it's very easy to teach about birds and then you can kind of get them out into nature. Mm-hmm. That makes a, that makes a ton of sense there uh, because it's all connected, you know? Oh yes. Um, there are uh, the, the interesting thing. And again, I'm glad you're here because you can answer this for me because I have no idea what I'm talking about. But um, the interesting thing about turkeys is how much of a, a pack mentality they have. Is that common amongst different bird species or does it vary quite a bit from one to another? It's going to vary. Um, so the, the turkey family group, um, grouse, what, chicken, turkey, pheasant, there's a few other ones like rails, they tend to be in that kind of um, that family where that, that body size is bulky and they don't really, they're not good for long flights. They, they can, um, they can get, they can take flight as you've probably seen the birds, but they're not migratory. They're, they're too bulky, too heavy, but they can definitely fly to get away from predators. Um, many birds are flock oriented or um, gregarious. There's a, a group word. But then there's solitary birds. I mean, there's some birds that are very solitary and they even have that in their name, solitary sandpiper. Um, Blackbirds can be solitary that you might find them flying in flocks, but then when they have their family unit, they tend to be just with their family. Um, There's safety in numbers. Mm -hmm. So a lot of them um, tend to be in flocks like that. Um, It it kind of would depend on the species that you're, you're looking at. Because mm-hmm. I thought it was, uh, this was going back like three, four years ago. I remember I was, um, I was turkey hunting with a friend of mine and we were in a blind and we had been calling and they would occasionally respond. And every time they responded, you could tell they were getting closer and closer. And eventually out of the tree line comes um, a group of, I want to say about seven or eight turkeys, mostly hens and about two toms. Okay. And one time you knew was the alpha. Like he was, he was a mm-hmm. big boy. He had the full display and everything going on and a smaller one behind him looked a little scraggly. excuse me and my we were bow hunting and my friend took a shot at the big tom nailed him and i mean it flopped and went down instantly the crazy thing about the story is the other tom that was behind him immediately hopped on top of him began pecking the living crap out of him you know it was almost just like yeah this is the big guy who's been kicking the crap out of me for (laughs) how long and now that you're down i'm gonna get my (laughs) i'm gonna get even with you and that was that was a a dynamic at least in my very amateur mind um in the animal world is something you would see more out of mammals you know that sort of pack mentality alpha versus beta you know because you don't think about that when you see like finches or you know sparrows or anything like that well some of it too is related to the mating pattern Mm -hmm. um many birds mate for life or mate for season um, but then there's a group that's polyandry, so poly for many, andry for males. So um, there's a, there's only a few. There, that one's kind of rare, where one female for multiple males. Because the benefit of that, she still has to lay the eggs herself. Um, but there are also many groups that are polygyny or polygyny, um, so many females. And then there's another group that's promiscuous, like hummingbirds. They will just fly around and mate with whatever, and then the male will leave. Like the female's on her own. Um, but the turkey group the wild um prairie chicken group and then a few other related they do something called lex 
and they actually have this. So I, I'm, I'm not quite 100% on turkeys, but I feel like they are in the polygyny or promiscuous group, maybe more polygyny because they have that unit. But I think the male will mate with multiple females. And so who knows who the father is in that group, but they, the females tend to work together to raise the offspring and the males might be nearby. But as far as the rest, I'm not quite sure if they help with the nest building. I think it's 100% females. Um, so that could be your, that story where that, those two males might have sired some of those offspring. Um, so it's hard to say for that one. But the Lex story, the Lex is interesting because they actually have this breeding ground. So um, grouse, some grouse do this. And they, just, they, they all just kind of go in this area and the males just display and dance and the females watch and they just say, that one. No, I don't want that one. That one. <laughs> and it's just mating. And then the males leave and the females have future eggs that they'll take care of for themselves. It's kind of like humans in their 20s at the nightclub. You know? <laughs> I was going to yeah, equate that to a dance club. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They get in their Ed Hardy and their Axe body spray and primp and, you know, they have Pretty much. decide that one or that one. And they make the women do all the work too. Like yeah. that's just, I mean, come on, you know. Oh, geez. They are, um, they are, yeah, they're, they're so much fun. And the, the, like I said, the, it always amazed me the, the conservation story of that, of how many we had, how many years ago. And I, you know, now that I think about it, I, I kind of wish Ben Franklin had actually said that. That would have made me really happy if he'd have thought the turkey would have been like the bird. How different would American attitude been if our national bird was the, <laughs> the turkey instead of the bull? He definitely put down the bald eagle. He, he uh, implied it should not be the bald eagle. But yeah, well, they are bullies, but then again, most alpha predators kind of are. I mean, lions are that way, you know, how right. you kind of lions like, yeah, that's mine, you know. Um, yeah, so, um, the, the aspect of it, the theory, and it is, I guess, it would still technically be considered a theory about the, the, the dinosaur evolution into birds. Um, that, um, years ago, that was almost considered like a laughable theory, wasn't it? that birds are dinosaurs or living dinosaurs yeah i think so because the the word extinction is always associated with dinosaur so if they're extinct then birds today cannot be dinosaurs but the lineage is definitely there i mean when we look at birds today their their real definition of, of a bird is the fact that they have feathers no other animals have feathers um, and then they have hollow bones but then when we look at fossils and imprints feathers existed with these dinosaur fossils. And that really, and then there's a lot of um, fossils that are found with nests with eggs. Oh. And that, that's not unique either, because we have reptiles today that have nests. Um, crocodiles are actually really related to that lineage as well. Um, yeah, mo many birders, bird group or biology birders, they will definitely favor that dinosaur bird lineage. Mm -hmm. And they, then you kind of say that, you know, you look at a bird like a cassowary. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those. No. Um, that's a cool one to look up. They they look like a dinosaur. They're about the size, maybe slightly smaller than an ostrich. Huge. And then they have blue head, bluish feathers, and a really big horn on their head. Hmm. And if given a chance, if you are nearby, they will eviscerate you Ooh. if you are near their nest. So this is dinosaur right there. This is this <laughs> giant bird that will kill you just like any large bird in the past um mm -hmm. so they're they're pretty dangerous i could see that and i'm almost afraid to google them because i'm already terrified to begin with of ostriches like you know as a kid we see them as these like fun things that run around and then you get older and you see some of the national geographic geographic videos of those things jacking stuff up and you're like oh that one oh what's the other one? the shoe bill shoe bill's pretty yeah those are pretty gnarly too Whoa. um i think they're smaller so they're probably about the same size as a human, maybe smaller. I think it's that beak that looks scary. And plus a lot of the photographers love that whenever they're looking face on. So they think that image is showing that they're dangerous birds. Um, I don't think they're out to attack humans. Um, same thing with even the ostrich. I think most of the, the danger is you're in the way and they trample you. Yeah. But the cassowary has been known to want to, like, if you're near their nest, they're just trying to protect their babies. Mm -hmm. um, but shoebill, shoebills are pretty fun to see, especially when you see them catch a, a lungfish and it's just hanging from their giant bill. I mean, forget about it. If you were out in the, if you were out in the wild, um, all on your own, no cell phone, no anything, you didn't know anything. And all of a sudden you realize there was a shoebill staring at you from like 20 feet away. 
how you would, eyes. yeah how would you would not crap yourself i don't know or just scream and run because that, right. those things are frightening looking oh my lord yeah and they they kind of when they walk they walk very human eerie like mm -hmm. so you just see this feathered creature that's walking like a human i would uh, first time i saw one my first thought was that's that can't be real that's got to <laughs> yeah. be something hooked up in a special effects department or something like that to make a creepy youtube video and then started google googling them and went oh my oh no no good for them though i mean they're out there doing their thing <laughs> yeah yeah there's a, there's actually quite a few birds that you look at and you're like this cannot be real mm -hmm. um there's one called the patu p-o-t-o-o and it looks like someone just took fake yellow billiard balls for their eyes i mean it looks so fake but they are the craziest looking bird oh wow! and they uh gosh madagascar i don't know where they're from um <laughs> but they are so good at behavior when a predator or um a threat comes nearby they will keep really still and they look like a tree branch mm -hmm. and they'll close their eye but the, those eyes just look they're googly eyes i mean <laughs> that's another one I'll, if you're keeping track you're gonna google cassowary and you're gonna google patu yeah the um well even the flamingo like flamingos are so common in our culture in terms of knowing what they look like but if you'd never seen one before and then all of a sudden you saw one you wouldn't know what to think right you know there was um a story there was a, a gentleman by the name of uh, winfield scott hancock who was a, a general in the civil war prior to the civil war um he was i want to say he was like a lieutenant or captain or something in the pre-war army and he was stationed down in florida and so him and his wife moved down there. He was like a quartermaster or something like that. And his wife, like out there, there were marshes out beyond their, the back door of their house. And in the early morning hours, his wife had spotted several flamingos, which she had never seen before, had never even heard of. And in her panic, she thought they were Native Americans. She thought there were Seminole Indians who were getting, I mean, we could get into like education and whatever. Okay. Else. You know, just the reaction of seeing something like that you'd never seen before, yeah. you know? You know, I mean, now we have plastic ones you can put in your front yard, but yeah, right. your initial first contact and that would almost be like an alien species, you know. And I, I feel bad for the flamingo because in a way I feel like all these decorations are tacky yeah. and it takes away the majestic beauty of them. And a lot of people don't even realize they fly, they fly mm -hmm. in flocks. And when you see the huge flock of uh, flamingos flying, I mean, that, and that's a good image of a dinosaur. And the mm -hmm. same thing earlier with the great blue heron. When they fly, you just picture a dinosaur, mm -hmm. like a pterodactyl or something flying by. <laughs> well, flamingos have become a character, you yes. know, that's, and that's unfortunate because just like, you know, there's one thing when um, there's like, a, you know, one of those Pixar animated movies and there's a flamingo character. Or like I said, we see the, the, the yard. I stretch the uh, yeah i feel terrible calling them decorations because i don't feel they're decorations but because they're just god awful ugly but then you watch like national geographic footage of them in the wild and the way they move yeah. and the way they fly and they're just absolutely gorgeous birds yes what what would there be any in like i said i'm, I'm asking because i'm an idiot um is there any evolutionary advantage at all to evolving pink feathers that way or other than to well, easily identify each other the pink feathers has nothing to do with their genetics. Um, they're, if you look at baby ones, they're white. Mm -hmm. um, they get the pink because of the food they eat, the algae. Oh, really? So kind of like oh. if we, and, um, or like any person who fed their newborn baby a lot of sweet potato, you know, the beta carotene gets into their skin. Um, it's harmless, it's just the pigment. So if even us, if we eat a lot of sweet potato every single day and anything with beta carotene, we will turn slightly orange. Um, but pelican, or not pelicans, um, flamingos, when they eat algae, there's this pigment that's similar to the beta carotene that will go into their feathers. Oh, so that's and not genetic is, at all. No, feathers oh. is keratin, like hair color or hair um, nails. So it just picks up that color. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I'd always wondered that. I'm like, why would they possibly evolve to be you know, pink unless they didn't have any natural predators and that way they could spot each other in the Everglades. Right. But that's interesting. Oh, okay. Is that, yeah. um, does yeah, there's that... no, there's no benefit to being that pink in terms of camouflage. Yeah. So you're just sticking out like a sore thumb to any predators that are out right. there. Um, are there a lot of bird species that do a similar thing? Um, so zebra finches, so we'll bring finch, um, zebra finch, a lot of people <laughs> have them for pets. Mm -hmm. and the diet is really important for them. Um, they get that brighter beak, the orange beak with the, the proper food. 
Um, but actually kind of thinking about the male and female mating pattern again. So red cardinal, um, bright blue indigo bunting, all of these bright blue and bright yellow birds, goldfinch. The male has a detriment because he is brightly colored, but he's brightly colored to attract females. If you often look at the female species of the same ones, um, they will be, I, I don't like to use the word drab. A lot of bird books say the male is drab and I say, no, she's subtle. <laughs> she's subtle. <laughs> so like if you look at a female cardinal, she's slightly brown. She has a red hint of color, um, but she's the one that's going to be on the nest more in, in actually most bird cases. So thinking of the, the flamingo, it's possible that the male flamingos, the pink color, again, they're not really controlling it with their diet, but they probably, it equates to health. Um, having good, healthy food, just like sweet potatoes for humans, it's healthier, healthier feathers, brighter color, more likely to attract the mate and more likely to pass on their genes. Mm -hmm. so, um, but then there are birds that actually make their own pigment. So it, it kind of depends on which pigment you're talking about. Okay. So the uh, zebra finches, that makes them more, the males, that makes them more susceptible to predators, I take it. It could, yes. Um, so they'll be brightly colored, they'll be healthier, they might have less parasites because they're eating a healthier diet, but that bright color will attract their female, but then they might also attract a predator. But <laughs> that's here. a good thing about having feathers and wings, <laughs> yes. you can fly away. They're here for a good time, not a long time, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but let me get, let me tell you this little fun okay. fact. So blue, blue in nature, blue in birds, blue is not the color that um, actually exists. So when we see a blue bird, a, a, like an eastern bluebird or a blue jay or an indigo bunting we see blue but they're actually black oh and every time i tell students that they're like no <laughs> they don't they don't believe me and if you crush the feathers or put underneath the microscope it's black um, but what we see is actually just the reflection of light so okay. blue in nature does not exist except for like two or two to three species of like a butterfly like there's really no such thing as a blue pigment mm -hmm. So blue jays are not actually blue. No, it's all the refraction of all different shades of their um, their existing blues or blacks and grays, and then their bending of light. Oh, somebody needs to call the Toronto Blue Jays and let them know that their <laughs> whole mascot is a load of crap. That's interesting. The um the the one bird that's extremely prevalent out here that I don't know a lot of about is the blackbird. Like ever since you were a kid, everybody be like, oh, those are blackbirds. Oh, those are okay. Blackbirds. So red winged blackbird. Yes, yes, so. <laughs> plenty of those, yes. Because that's the thing, yeah, the thing about bird names is um, like Robin. Like we say Robin and we might think of our Robin in our country, but then there's a Robin in Europe called a European Robin. Mm -hmm. So we try to always, I try not to correct, um, except for my students, you have to say the full name, American Robin or red-winged blackbird, because there's also a yellow-headed blackbird. And then there's a grackle, which is technically a blackbird but the name is Grackle. So mm -hmm. I just wanted to clarify which Blackbird, <laughs> which I assumed was the Red Wing Blackbird. Uh -huh. No, um, Red, Red Wing Blackbirds, yeah, but we have a lot of just plain Blackbirds that ever since I was okay. a kid, everybody just called Blackbirds. So that could include Grackles, that could include Cowbirds. Um, cowbirds have a brown head, so they're actually called brown-headed Cowbirds, but their bodies are all pretty similar and they tend to be on the ground, the ground feeders. Um, starlings, European starlings, if you think of those, those are actually introduced. I, I can tell you that story. Um, but they're kind of black in color. But then if you look at them in different light, they're iridescent and have like almost sequins. So it's possible that the phrase blackbird is more of these congregating mm -hmm. birds with those dark feathers. But there, there could actually be 10 species in there. Uh huh. That's what I always wonder if it just Blackbird didn't just become a catch-all for dark birds Probably. that nobody wanted to bother to identify. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> the red-winged Blackbirds, those are plentiful and they're gorgeous birds. I think, yes. you know, you can always see that that red and yellow band of them just like zipping by and you're like, oh, there they go. There they and go. And those are only the males. The females are actually brownish and black and they have stripes. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. Yeah, so she's going to blend in more with, they, they're in marsh areas, so that's why they're pretty common where we live because of, we have the wetlands areas and um, roughly prairie areas that they like. Um, but the female is going to have, so th that's another example. The male will mate and have her, his little territory and he'll kind of leave and she's kind of on her own. He, he does protect a little bit, but I think she's more of the, the major nest person. 
Um, but if you walk by, they're the ones that are going to dive bomb you. You know, they, they don't want you near their nest. So a lot of um, my running friends don't, don't like them too much because they're running around Highland or bike path and these red winged blackbirds will attack them. Yeah. Like Carla been, Jeffrey, she, <laughs> she does not like the, the uh, red winged blackbirds. <laughs> I, I've been dive bombed by them a few times out in the wilds when you're hiking through the woods and yep. all in your camo, especially it's even worse because you're about to go climb a tree, you yes. know, especially when you haven't been out to your stand in several months and you're heading out there and all of a sudden, yeah, you're getting, they're buzzing the tower, man. They're zooming. You're like, Oh, okay. That's um, I'm a little too close for that. I remember, gosh, this made me think, the closest experience I'd ever had with the bird, probably going back 20 years ago, and I was at a cabin in Spooner, Wisconsin, and out in the middle of this lake was a little tiny, I, I, I don't know about calling it an island, but it was a rocky outcropping that was out in the middle of the lake with one giant dead tree in the middle of it, and at the top of it was a bald eagle's nest. Nice. And it was really cool because you could get up in the morning, we were staying at this cabin and drink your coffee, and you could see the bald eagle was out there circling and skimming the water surface and it was so cool when it would go down and snatch a walleye or a bass or something and and um me being at the time very photography minded i decided i was going to go out and get a good picture of this bird i was going to get in the boat i was going to get as close as island as i could and get a good picture of it and i was wearing um essentially a cowboy type hat and i'm in this little tiny boat with this little engine and i'm motoring along and as i get about halfway there I see the eagle leave its nest and I'm like, oh, I'm going to get some cool pictures. He's, uh, he's going to go out hunting. You know, maybe I'll get something really, really neat. Um, he, as the further I progress, the more he is circling closer and the more he is circling lower, namely to me. And it, you know, and your brain doesn't really connect sometimes as fast as you wish it would, you know, because all of a sudden I completely lost sight of him and I'm looking all around trying to figure out where he is. And I feel, I hear this whoosh. And okay. this wind on the back of my neck as my hat gets knocked off as it zoomed in behind me, probably less than a foot from the top of my head. And immediately I went, oh, message received. Okay, I'm <laughs> yep. getting a little too close. And I immediately turned the boat around and how much he was circling corresponded to how close I was to his nest. And by the time I got back to shore, he was up in his nest. And, and I, I'll never forget him flying over my head and me being almost eye level with his with his uh with his feet as he came down over top of me huh. and you, when you see those claws that close up of a full grown bald eagle you're like that's yeah, not something i want to mess with no thank no. you i never got a good picture <laughs> so i'm going to correct you too talons we're going to say talons <laughs> Talons, yes yes, yes. <laughs> um and it could easily be a she so <clears throat> it could have been she didn't want True. you near the nest either but both of them will take turns with the nest so who knows which one was trying to get you but it didn't like me. I could no. tell you that much. It, it was not, it was not happy about me getting that close to the crib. That's for sure. Uh -uh. So I've, I've worked at Atwood nature center for a short period of time in Rockford where they have birds of prey and the bald eagle is one that I um, help with the exhibit to feed. And we often feed it um, because they're in these um, enclosed areas. They don't give them live prey. Um, this particular bald eagle, I think was hit by a car. 20 years ago, I believe that they still have it. So they live quite a long time in captivity. But when I'm, I'm right next to it and those talons freak me out. They Ooh. are, oh my gosh, bigger than my thumb. I mean, <laughs> they're huge and they're not even the biggest bird of prey. I mean, there's one called the harpy eagle, which is huge. Um, really? But that, this one scares me. Um, even, I, I think it doesn't like, I think it senses my fear of coming right next to it, but I'm holding this dead rabbit to feed it. And I just kind of plop it down and then it just stands in it and rips the fur off and devours it. But that, that's, that's a little thing to watch when you watch a, a bird of prey eating their, their food. It's, that's animal. That's, that's yeah. a little scary. They don't have our hangups about needing a fork and a knife and it looking neat on their plate. They just, they no. just do their thing, man. And they use their tools that way. They use their mm -hmm. beak and their talons. That's their knives and forks. Mm -hmm. What, what was the other eagle that you mentioned harpy eagle harpy where's that at um south america okay so you will see them eating their prey so bald eagle eats fish maybe small animals they they often eat roadkill um prey is different in south america they're going to eat sloths and Whoa. monkeys that's how big they are oh my so, god oh yeah they're they're huge 
and they have really big tufty feathers in their head and so the photographers love getting that image of this harpy eagle looking at you with those deep eyes and the messy feathers like it's gonna hunt you <laughs> kind of like the shoe bill yeah forget it i had um because i had heard of the host eagle before now long since extinct they believe that apparently lived in europe and was absolutely absolutely massive have you ever heard of that one i have not that is oh. one new one that i have not heard of yeah and it's it's one of those it, it's hard to tell because from what i've read there's um there's a lot of gray area between science what's understood and legend you know yeah because from what i understand they existed at the same time that humans did they weren't like super prehistoric but somewhere around you know well over a thousand years ago they went extinct but you know the word was that they would frequently steal emus like it wasn't uncommon okay. for them to swoop down and grab one and just flap so people were terrified that it would steal children because apparently it was big enough fossils they have of it it sure. definitely big enough to pick a four or five year old child and fly away and not even think twice about it <clears throat> if that is another thing to keep you awake at night when you're a parent <laughs> <laughs> yeah one of my favorite images is always showing the comparison of a human with all the prehistoric birds and other creatures yeah just, just how, how big they were before the little tiny goldfinches we see today <laughs> right yeah <laughs> do uh, do birds do relatively well in captivity um it might depend on the species so some the, the stress level some of them will just not do well but if you think about birds in captivity they are being constantly fed um and they're they're not having to waste energy to hunt they're being sheltered typically from the extreme weathers like at Atwood, they keep them out year round um, because they're native to the area, but the turkey vulture that they have there is not native to North Illinois. Um, so they actually bring that one indoors during the winter because turkey vultures in our area, Freeport, they migrate to Southern Illinois. Mm. So that, that it kind of depends on the species, but I want to say bald eagles in captivity might live 40 years, but in the wild might be 30, 20 okay. to 30, because you have injury, you have to hunt for your food, you have the weather extremes um, versus a building versus someone feeding you daily. You know, mm. it's, they, they probably do feed daily themselves, but they had to work at it. So their, their energy um, and having to not only defend themselves, you know, from cars and people and, you know, people might still try to hunt bald eagles. You will get major in trouble yeah. for that. But <laughs> I've heard of a few cases here and there of people shooting bald eagles and then get, them, get arrested for that. Mm -hmm. There was a guy, there was an old joke. I remember my dad used to tell me about this cop who caught a guy hunting a bald eagle, you know, hmm. and he was taking him back to the station, the back of his car and the cop couldn't help himself. And he just said, I, I just got to ask, what does bald eagle taste like? And the guy said, not a lot like spotted owl. Oh no. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that's terrible. The, um, speaking of which owls, on the other hand, they, those, those are fascinating to me. Just, I mean, especially some of the barn owls that are just absolutely massive. Yeah, um, great, uh, great horned owl and barred owl are our two common ones. And then barn, B-A-R-N, um, I haven't seen any in our area. Um, weird to say, I mean, their name barn owl, of course, humans created that name. And you're like, what's their nat natural habitat? Is it a barn? Um, it's hard <laughs> to say what their natural habitat was. Um, I always see this meme floating around saying barn owls, then humans came and made barns and barn owls are happy. But now <laughs> the old barns are being destroyed or falling apart. Um, so I don't know what they're, if they're just cavity nester birds, but they're, they're definitely lower threatened to be endangered. Um, but great horned owl. I mean, they look massive and this goes with most birds. It's the feathers. Um, so I, when I've, I've held a, a great horned at Atwood and it's five pounds, um, but the barred owl, so that one has streaks on its breast, um, three pounds. Mm -hmm. So whenever I used to work with them, I'd always prefer the barred owl because we usually have to hold them for about 30 or so minutes and they're, they're light, they're light, but after 30 minutes, you're like, okay, my arm's kind of hurting. Um, <laughs> so I always do better with the barred owl because they're slightly lighter, mm -hmm. but that, yeah, that size, they, um, mammals do this too. They fluff up to look bigger to, to kind of give you a threat back, mm -hmm. but those are talons that you do not want. I, I accidentally, so we wear our gloves, but I, I didn't hold the owl properly enough and it walked it only walked off my arm um, glove into my arm and the the talon just sunk right in like butter oh so it wasn't actively attacking me but just by walking on me that's how yeah. sharp they are yeah so i cannot imagine pissing that owl off yeah gosh about and i don't know the species i remember about two years ago i was um i was up in a tree stand and i'm in full 
head to toe camo, the whole thing. And it was, <clears throat> I remember it was slightly after 4.30, like there was just the tiniest bit of sun left because we were in uh, mid-November at this point in time. And it owl came in and attempted to land on me. Apparently mm, didn't no. realize that I was a human. It thought I was a tree. And it probably, and I saw him coming in and I thought to myself, surely he knows that, you know, I'm a, a, a human, like he doesn't think I'm, and he kept getting closer and closer. And he probably got about five feet from me and pulled up and put his talons out towards me. And I had to put my arms up and wave off. And I've never seen a bird just like, it went like, oh my God. And it just like, you know, flapped really hard and peeled off. But again, same thing with the eagle, seeing those talons that close, oh, yeah. you just like, whoa, no. Yeah. People who work with eagle nests or owl nests, they have to wear a helmet. And I don't even know how good that is, but you'd rather have the talent attempt the helmet versus your own skull. Yeah, forget it. The, um, I remember it was so neat as a kid. It was really, really neat when you would get to go for a hike in the woods and you could find an owl pellet. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I, uh, I remember I had one of those in a mason jar in my room for a long time when I was a kid because <laughs> I was just fascinated by the concept of it. Um, and to people who are listening and or watching, who don't know, and you're the you're the expert here, not me, but it involves um, an owl devouring a mouse, and everything that they can digest gets pulled out of that, except for the hair and the bone, which kind of gets compacted, and then they regurgitate that back up. Correctly. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So we often hear the phrase owl pellet, but bald eagles make a pellet. Any bird oh, really? of prey makes pellets. So. I'll give you this little science. So the, the bird digestive tract is slightly similar to ours. They do have a stomach-like chamber, and they also, but we typically say crop and gizzard. So people who like gizzard, you're eating the grinding organ of a bird um, because they don't have teeth. No birds have teeth. So when a bird of prey, such as an owl, owls are capable of eating, depends on the size of the prey, um, of either swallowing the whole mouse whole, or they would, like I described with the bald eagle, stand on it and rip it apart. But a lot of the chunks of the fur or feathers, because some birds of prey eat other birds, they are not digestible. So the crop will store and soften the food and the gizzard grinds it. But they, there's kind of almost like this imaginary net. So the contents that can digest will keep passing through, but the undigestible materials of the, the feathers, bones, they have to regurgitate. Mm -hmm. So a bald eagle pellet is not as easy or fun to dissect for children because it's usually fish material and it stinks. <laughs> um, same thing with turkey vultures. Um, I've had a turkey vulture. We, we drove it to a, a, um, the mall for a, a bird show for the, for the, um, in Rockford. And on the way, the vulture decided to vomit in the cage and it stunk up the entire van <laughs> from our, for our drive. It, it's just... Yeah, the stomach acid anyway, but bald eagles, um, red-tailed hawks, all of them will have pellets. But with, uh, I think with owls, their diet is a lot more mammal. So the feathers keep a little more compact. Now, if you find the, uh, the pellets in the wild, you know, be aware of, it's pr probably full of bacteria and gross, gross biology stuff. <laughs> um, but like schools, they'll order them and they've usually autoclave them or bake them to make mm -hmm. them cleaner. Oh man, we didn't think about that as kids. You'd oh, go yeah. out there and pick it up, write it with your bare hands, and hand it to your buddy, and he'd hand it to his buddy, and then you'd sit and eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. You know, it was just <laughs> just wash your hands. <laughs> right. <laughs> the um, there's a as I switch topics here because this is something I definitely, definitely want to cover. There's a bit of uh, an issue going on right now in the United States with a bird virus that is revolves around people's reluctance to remove bird feeders. Am I understanding that right? Um. Kind of, yeah. I don't. I don't want to say it's humans' fault. Um, so, bird feeding and wildlife in general. You know, we we say don't feed wildlife. You know, you don't want skunks in your yard. You don't want raccoons. But for some reason, feeding birds is okay. That, that's just the first thing I always notice. Like, why is culturally feeding birds okay? <laughs> um, so, people who feed birds, they get enjoyment. Um, there's, I mean, I call myself a birder. But there's people who are backyard birders. They they want to enjoy the birds in their backyard. But birds are fine without us. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we stop feeding birds, they will be fine. Other than the fact that we've destroyed their habitat. So, but in most cases, if they have the natural food sources, they'll be fine just without us. The issue that we're seeing is because in nature, birds will find their food here and there, and they're not congregating, even if they're flock birds when humans want to feed birds for their enjoyment to bring them to their home, 
you're causing this congregation, think of COVID, you know, people, mm -hmm. disease will spread. I mean, yeah. they're sitting on a feeder, they're pooping on the feeder. And if another bird comes by, that poop has a parasite in it or bacteria. We don't know yet, actually yet. The scientists don't know if it's a virus. They don't know if it's, they've already ruled out all the common threats to birds because bird disease is not new. Um, the problem though is if people have their feeder and do not clean it, then the next bird will get possibly that parasite or we're just um, having that congreg congregation. So East Coast is kind of where we started seeing it um, early, early spring um, where these birds were just getting this eye crusty blindness and neurological symptoms. So there, here, let me go to finches. So there is a common disease in finches that's a conjunctivitis, like pink eye for humans. Okay. They've ruled that out. They've, they've already seen it. They, they, they saw these birds with this thing, oh, it must be this particular conjunctivitis, but it, unfortunately it's not. And they say, unfortunately, because if we knew, easy, we can probably figure out how to help. Um, but they're seeing it in birds other than finches. And I don't even know if finches are afflicted right now. They're seeing it in the blackbird um, starling group. Um, grackles, robins. And robins tend to not actually be feeder birds, but the the one theory is it's the cicadas. So because it's oh. on the East Coast, when those cicadas, 17-year-old cicadas emerged, they were thinking, well, maybe these 17-year-old cicadas have been accumulating human-caused pesticides. Humans are, you know, I don't like insects, so I'm going to spray my yard with these chemicals yeah. and these burrowed, hibernating cicadas have been accumulating these toxins in their system They've all emerged, these, these happy birds are having this buffet of cicadas and they think that could be a culprit mm. because of just the correlation with the, the cicadas. But we don't want to associate correlation with evidence. Um, so back to the bird feeders though. Because scientists are trying to buy some time, like let's figure this out, they're asking people in these reported areas. So Illinois has not have had reported saying Illinois is had these cases. However, I'm hearing a lot of my birding friends saying, no, I've seen one. But the IDNR um, has said, well, we want more reports if you see five or more dead birds in your area. So Illinois has not really said take down your feeders. Uh, but other states have because they think, well, if it is something that's communicable that way, let's help them out. Mm -hmm. But here's the, the human selfishness, I'll say. And using the phrase, well, those are my favorite birds. They, they come to my yard. Mm. Um, I want to feed them. I want to watch them. The birds I see don't have this. I think they're okay. And so I think it's just that whole, I, want, I don't want to take away my enjoyment of the birds this spring and summer. Um, I'm going to do it until I see it myself. Yeah. And I've already told people, I mean, it's kind of foolish to say, well, it's in Illinois or Indiana. It's in Ohio, Wisconsin's already telling their um, community to say, take down the fears. Why are we saying it's not Illinois? Mm -hmm. These birds could easily have it. Um, I don't feed birds in the spring and summer anyway, because they don't need us. Um, mm -hmm. It's actually common for all diseases for birds, hot, humid summer, Fung uh, fungi accumulate in the old bird seed. That's another issue. A lot of people leave the bird seed too long and it's underneath and then you get these mold spores. Yeah. So there's another disease we're causing <clears throat> for these birds. Um, I personally encourage people, if you wanna feed birds, winter is the best time because snow cover, um, it's hard to find seeds for the seeding birds like finches and cardinals. Um, but you really, with with native plants, if people plant native plants, um, these birds will find food just fine. Mm -hmm. So I think it's that selfishness, but also um, not knowing that birds don't, or not recognizing that birds don't need us. I think they feel, well, what if I don't feed them, they're gonna starve. No, and actually in this time of year, they're eating insects, not seeds as mm -hmm. much. That's, um, and that's that's so true. And that's, gosh, that reminds me, that goes right in line with, um, an issue that DNRs have been dealing with across the country for years when it comes to feeders for white-tailed deer. Sure. It's, it's the whole reason why they're illegal is because, you know, when you're dealing with stuff with like CWD, chronic wasting disease, any spot that you make where they're going to congregate, disease is going to spread. And you get the selfishness because even though it's illegal, people are like, I don't care. I want a big buck yeah. this fall. And so they just put the feeders out and they come and feed and you know, I've always, I've often said that when it comes to conservation, you have to care a lot more about the species than you do one or two specific animals. 
Yeah. Like it, it has to be a broad ranging, you know, and if we all work on this together, otherwise, you know, we're, we're potentially damaging, you know, things for a long-term and generations down the road won't be able to enjoy it the way we do. So we have to take some stewardship over that and get involved. Um, speaking of yeah. deer, I, I, speaking of deer, I'm hoping I'm doing this right because somebody told me a long time ago to do this. And this is what I've done is on the fall, whenever I'm deer hunting, when I get a deer, now deer have a lot of tallow on them, a lot of really waxy sort of fat. It's not like normal mammal fat, like, you know, pig fat or beef fat. It's this really kind of waxy sort of substance. Okay. Um, Somebody told me years ago what they do, and I started doing it, is I end up freezing it, saving it, and then I thaw it out, and I dice it out really small. I throw it out in the yard in the winter, and the birds go nuts for it, especially okay. the finches. They just, because it's just like pure protein to them. And it's at a time where they're not having a good, from what I'm told, it's, you know, not a good time for them to be able to find food because, you know, everything's buried. And so to have this like fresh protein source out for, for them, they just, they just go nuts for it. Is my, am I doing them a disservice or is that okay? Well, suet, a lot of people have suet feeders. So mm -hmm. that's this big block of, I believe it's beef though. So okay. it's probably similar, this fat um, that is a solid white, almost like lard. And some people make suet out of lard. So I believe the deer tallow um, could be similar, especially if you are seeing them um, devour it. Um, I think they, they probably smell the, the fat part. And the time of year you said, what, when was it? You were Usually winter, dead of winter, winter, like January, February. So they, they, they do get their fat reserves built. Um, the, um, these are likely non-migratory birds because um, the migratory birds have already flown away. Because mm -hmm. if they're migratory, they're not going to want to load up with uh, too much because to, they do have to be able to lift themselves off. They do, they do get thinner when they get to their migratory lands. Um, but yeah, these are probably typically birds trying to get their insulation layer that way. Now, going to chronic wasting though, that and I don't know if this is true or not, but now I'm concerned maybe is it possible for chronic wasting to be in that fat maybe not because it's more in neurons but you know what if there's a crossover to the birds <laughs> yeah you know I, I honestly had never thought of that before there the problem is is that right now you're in sort of this um don't know fear thing there is yet to be a confirmed case of cwd crossing species okay. like th that yeah. has been one of the big concerns is that because if you if you get a deer you can send a sample of the tissue into the dnr illinois dnr and they'll test it for you um, and I've heard many instances of people who have shot a deer, sent a test in, you know, sent a sample in to be tested by the time they get it back and find out it was positive. They've already eaten half the deer, yeah. you know, so there is yet to be a confirmed case, but there's always that fear that at some point there's going to be a dam break, you know, something's well, going to evolve. It's the mm -hmm. same type of pathogen as uh, mad cow disease yeah. mm -hmm. and leads to Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease in humans. So yeah. it is possible yeah. to cross over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anytime I've sent a test in, I have never had me or my family or any friends eat a single ounce of that meat until I've gotten a test back. Because even though there hasn't been a confirmed, you know, case of it yet, I don't want to be patient zero. So, right. you know, that's kind of, that's my belief on it. Um, now, if it follows the same as the other, it's a prion, then it should only be a nervous tissue and nervous tissue is yes, probably throughout the body, but less so in the muscle itself. Mm -hmm. So I guess if you're not um, devouring the brain of the deer, then maybe they, you do. <laughs> they love that up in Wisconsin. Apparently they love taking oh, okay. the brain and soaking it in beer and then like yeah. grilling it or cooking. And I'm just, I'm not, I'm not a fan. I'm not going to no. do um, So to people who love birds, people, like I say, backyard birders, um, what is the best thing they can do for the birds in their yard that allows them to enjoy them but isn't detrimental to the species? The best thing is planting native plants. That will bring the correct food and habitat for these birds. Um, I, we've turned our, see I call our yard a, a yarden. So, cause we've converted a lot of our grass area into just native prairie plants. So we've kind of just extended, so it's less to mow, um, but I've nice. seen multiple species of birds just enjoying our, our kind of like the thistle. We have coneflower that is the thistle for the goldfinches and they just plop right on our native plants and eat that all summer. Um, so that is the number one best thing. The other thing too is hummingbirds. They get that nectar, that pure nectar from the flowers um, the hard part with hummingbirds is they do migrate pretty early where no flowers are blooming. So having hummingbird feeders is probably important for these birds to get that, that boost of sugar since they just migrated from South America and Mexico. Um, but you have to keep those clean as well. Get moldy pretty quickly and the, the hummingbirds get this swollen tongue and they, they mm -hmm. starve to death. 
and people sometimes leave their feeders out year or a week, especially in 90 degree temperature, it's already spoiled by the end of the day. Um, so if, if you're gonna feed birds, you better be responsible. But if you are going to feed birds, um, having native plants and feeders or native plants only, or making sure that you clean your feeders, ideally as much as possible, but I think once a week is probably good, maybe more so with this outbreak. Um, but if you see the, the, the waste droppings of the birds, scrape them off. Um, don't leave the bird food at the bottom of the feeder. And if you have a bird bath, that's actually pretty, pretty important for birds to have a water source, but that too needs to be cleaned. Yeah. Because they, they do defecate in that as well. Yeah. So yeah, the, the number one best thing for birds is native plants and protecting habitat. So ensuring that our prairies that we have less of in our prairie state, mm -hmm. keeping them protected because it's a stopping ground for a lot of bird species too. They, they might not stay long, but they need to rest and if you have zero prairie, they, they don't have a place to really stop and rest for food. So mm -hmm. we need to protect what we can. I like that idea. I might turn half my backyard into prairie. <laughs> <You> <laughs> Less to mow too. That's, <laughs> that's maybe it's just me, but I kind of look at it. Uh, I look at our American society where we have this thing for like these perfectly manicured lawns and still for the life of me, I don't understand it. Like we spend all this time putting down fertilizer and <clears throat> pesticides and yeah. mowing and just so we can have short plants to look at and I don't I don't understand it at all I really don't but it's I do up your time to mow it takes yeah. up all your energy and you don't I, I don't know how many people look forward to mowing yeah me neither I certainly don't um I'm, no. I'm very glad that my oldest is 18 and does the majority of it so <laughs> go get him kid yeah. um yeah um when you look I mean when I look at my childhood and I see the the cars, and this is kind of a sad thing, but you see all the, the insects on your car that are dead from when you drive around, you don't see that as much anymore. And it should be frightening. You know, yeah. we, we look at our cars not having as many dead bugs on them, which means there's less insects. Mm -hmm. And then the backyard is full of fireflies. We don't see that as much. No, and that's don't. because they're being killed by the pesticides. They, fireflies, lightning bugs, they lay their eggs in the ground and they emerge late summer but if we've killed them all with these pesticides, they're not emerging. We don't have that pretty firefly insect. And then the other thing too, is we have too much light pollution. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people have the, the little background, uh, backyard lights all, mm -hmm. I mean, they go to bed and the lights are still on. These fireflies have to do their blinking to attract their mate. And if the mate can't see them or they, they get confused by their own light, light, they're not going to lay eggs. And that means less fireflies. Yeah, that's true. We're, um, you and I probably both remember being kids and in the summer, like late July and August, your backyard would just be full of them. Yes. Just full of them. And now it's like, I'll sit on my back porch and it's like, you'll see like one or two, maybe three around. Right. And that, yeah. It never occurred to me that, wow, that's, that's a heck of a lot less than it used to be. Yeah. That's too bad. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I've heard people say that um, you shouldn't rake your leaves in the fall because that's where insects, lay their eggs and that's what the birds like to eat in the spring. Have you heard that at all? Or is there oh, any yes. truth that, to that? That's true. That's definitely true. Yes. So this one you have to, you have to kind of <laughs> use your judgment though, because of our sewer municipal systems, if you don't rake your leaves, then there's possibility that they accumulate and then they clog our mm. sewer systems. Um, the better thing to, okay. So you can leave some and maybe mow the leaves to mulch them. Yeah, there could be some insects that are mulched as well or chopped apart. Um, but the leaves themselves, I mean, if we think back to pre-human where we're, we're all just deciduous trees, maples and oaks and everything, the leaves are part of that ecosystem. The leaves fall and they break down, they provide nutrients to the soil. These are nutrient rich soils. We are now removing the leaves, which are nutrients, so we can add fertilizer to our grass like we're not getting that connection that we've just removed a free fertilizer mm -hmm. for our lawn because a lot of people don't like the mess of when the snow comes down and melts now you just have this brown mess but let nature take its course and let decomposition occur mm -hmm. um, but going to the insects a lot of them are a lot of caterpillar species um, their eggs or larvae have um basically go through a little dormancy and survive the winter. 
And then going back to native prairie plants, a lot of native prairie plants have these hollow stems. There's insects that um, survive the winter in them. Mm -hmm. So they'll emerge and then yes, be future food for other species. Okay. So, yeah. was, that, that made a lot of sense to me. And I was, for the last couple of years, I was really hoping it was true because I figured it kind of got me out of the, what I call the last last round of raking, like I would early yes. because we have, we have these huge trees in our yard and they just, I mean, it would, it would be like this huge blanket of leaves if I didn't. So I try to get some of it, but towards the end of it, and same thing, like you said, with fertilizer, because it felt the same way to me. Um, you know, years ago when I was in high school, I worked for a landscaper and we'd mow a lot of yards and you'd have people who would always want to have the clippings bagged and out of there. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, spend all this kind of money on fertilizer for their grass. And I would think like, well, just don't bag it. Right. Like just let it sit and decompose and it'll put its nutrients into the soil and then it's free and you don't have to pay for it, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can compost it. That's actually one of the best things to do to compost it and add it to your own compost. Um, use it as a mulch. So take those leaves and just, if you have a landscaped garden, take those leaves and protect the plants that you're trying to use the mulch for. It, it doesn't replace the, the wood mulch that some people use, but it still works because mm -hmm. it'll, it'll break down eventually too. Yeah. And you might have healthier plants. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's interesting. Well, we are, um, we are, <clears throat> excuse me, up against the clock here. We're, we're just about out of time. Is there anything um, that you'd like included or want to say on the way out? Hmm. About birds or in general? Anything, you name it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just I, I think it's important that people just take a moment, put away their devices and just go for a walk and see what's out there and listen to the bird song. Uh, I think the scary thing is that we might not have that in the future. Mm -hmm. And if you are feeding birds when a bird with a bird feeder right now, take them down, please. <laughs> just, <laughs> just listen to the scientists. That's easy to say, to listen yeah. to the scientist about disease and just let's protect our birds um, and join the local Audubon chapter. <laughs> That's sure. the big one I'm a part of, Northwest <laughs> Illinois Audubon Society. I'm going to plug okay. them. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Well, uh, Juliet, I want to say thank you. Thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll catch you again another time. That sounds good. All thank right. You. Th thank you.